We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? This is the 63rd episode of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. We are still down in Tampa, Florida at spring training. Scott, what's up, man? What's up? So this is a little unique. We're, uh, we're sitting, it is 1045 on Saturday morning. We're recording for Tuesday's show. We wanted to do it while we were still uh, together in Tampa. So yeah, man, I know we had some, uh, some failures of technology last night, a little bit of uh, technical difficulties with recording some decent audio. Um, so hopefully you got to listen to show number 62 and, uh, and, and we're able to put up with the, the, the crappy audio that we had. Well, I just realized that 62 might come out after 63. It possibly will. Maybe Java cursed us. Possibly. I, mean, I think that's what it was. You, you called him like a fat little man running around, I think, at some point. No, I called the Bat Boy a fat little man running uh, well, around. Either way, I think, I think there, that 62 might, might just be a cursed number for us. Well, I'm, I'm dedicating the 63rd episode to another fat guy, Chris Britton. On the Yankees, he was uh, I think on the Yankees in '08, pitched a few games. He started. He was a big dude. Yeah, former Oriole. Yeah, he was a he was a guy who floated around. He was a big guy. But um, we're getting we're getting definitely going to be uh, you know running out of options as we as we continue going. We're going to be hitting spring training basically. Yep, we're going to be hitting, old spring training numbers. Yeah, we're going to be hitting uh, exactly old spring training numbers and backup players. So. We should have really started this from the beginning, and it would have been much better. Yeah. Like, do we know what Jeter first came up with in spring training? Like, what number Wasn't was he? Was he always number two? I don't know. I don't know if, if I, from the very, very beginning in spring training, I doubt they gave him number two from the get. He, I know he was wearing number two in 95. I know, but I'm talking about in spring training, oh. when he gets a call up for spring training, because you know all these guys are wearing different numbers. Right. I'm not sure. It's a good so, question. I'll have to look that up. I'll have to check out the internet archives to there figure that out. How's your, how's your, how are you feeling this morning? I feel good. You I feel, feel, I feel fine. Yeah, I feel, I feel ready to go. I We're, think you're probably feeling a little better than I am. Yeah, well, I'm a seasoned professional. <laughs> I, I, I know that I have to do certain things to feel better in the morning. So like consistent water, like I, I pop Advil before I go to bed and chug water. I have, I have a routine. Can you hook me up with some Advil after this? Yes, I got some. If you were watching, if anyone was watching the Periscope last night, on Friday night, you'll 
know why we aren't feeling the best. We had a full day of spring training baseball and drinking and eating, so it was a fun day, though. It was a fun day. We got a lot of good stuff. We talked to a lot of a lot of good Yankee fans that were, uh, you know, we got some cool interviews. That was fun, and you know, we 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 ended up being fans too at George, at this at the Steinbrenner, and uh, walked around and saw all the plaques and all the stuff. So we definitely took it all in. It was pretty cool. It was an interesting crowd at at the stadium. Um, I was I don't know what I was expecting. I was expecting maybe more more young people than there were. I mean, you got to understand where we are, though. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's it's there's a, there's a lot. It's a big retirement community. Yeah, and the people who can come and travel down here usually are a little bit older. You know what I mean? Who have yep. the, um, you know, taken off work and just we, we saw to travel. Good amount of like, fa- our father son combinations, yeah. family combinations, which was cool. Yeah, it's, it's some people. We ran into somebody who had season tickets, yep. season spring training tickets. Yeah, that's a cool thing if you live in Tampa. Uh, I mean. I would definitely do that. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good thing. I mean, I think spring training to me is one of the is. It's just a different element of seeing the professional players because, while you don't have the access you used to have back in the day with spring training, like used to, I, when I went to Vero Beach for Dodger spring training, I used to be able to go up and and like right there with the players, and I I know the world is different, but also security is different with the players at this point. I mean, they're just making so much damn money. Um, but yeah, you, it's it's definitely different. Like you're closer than you ever can be, and it's, and it's pretty can, interesting. If, even if you're in the last row, it's still not far away. You could walk down, yeah. and and get close to players. Yeah, it's very it's pretty relaxed, and yeah. there's really not a bad seat in that place. Right, it's a minor league park, so you got to think about that. Yeah, there's there's not even if you're at the you know the the last level of the quote upper deck, you you still have a good view. Yeah. Um, and I think if I had season tickets, though, I'd probably just pop in for the first few innings. Oh, yeah. Because we didn't really watch the last two, three innings as it is. We well, I think, around. you know, with spring training, if you're there, too, you, you get to know a lot of the younger guys as well. So you definitely have to have a, if you go spring training season tickets, you got to have like a, a different love for the game and, and really just know who these players are because you're going to see a lot of minor leaguers and... To me, I mean, if you a lot of I have a feeling a lot of the people who are season ticket holders for spring training are also Tampa, Tampa Yankees season ticket holders. So they enjoy baseball. They like going to see the minor league guys, um, and they're just kind of there for the for the love of the game. The Yankees not having names on their backs of their jerseys is kind of difficult when you've got numbers seventy seven in and number ninety four in in the eighth inning. It's like, who so the hell is playing center field So do you right feel now? now for John Sterling and Susan Waldman when they have no idea who's out there? They, have, they, do, they do an impressive job. Yeah. They only get it wrong half the time, which is better than I would do, probably. It was cool because on Saturday, the, the, or on, on Friday, when they had the full squad there, when you see the amount of guys that are lined up in the dugout, it's pretty neat because there's just no room for all these guys. So half the team is literally on the fence. And uh, you can see all the all the guys right there, and we were right there. We were five rows back from the dugout, yeah. which is pretty neat. We got to see how you made a comment this morning, how young everybody looks. Yes, especially some of the guys who are just trying to scratch and claw to make the team. They're babies. They they look like they're twelve years old. In reality, they're twenty years old. It's insane. It's just when you get up real close with the guys, you you see that they're they're kids playing baseball and. I mean, obviously the guys like there's there's some some grizzly old vets in there, but you see all the the minor leaguers up close like that, and you can just you just realize and remember how young they are. I'm getting to the age now where everyone is starting to be younger than me, who's on the team, which is a problem. It's not a you just it's a problem. You better it's get a used to. Problem for me that I need to get used to to <laughs> yeah. accept that. It's it uh, you know it's I'm 27 now, so it's starting to happen where. Yeah. Everybody is younger on the team. Or not everybody. All the prospects. All are. the prospects and all the all. I mean, Didi and Castro are twenty six years old. Right. And Castro's been in the league forever. I feel like. Yeah. I you think of him as like a thirty two year old vet, but he's still twenty six years old. It's just the time we live in, man. As you get older, they stay the same age. <sighs> so little, little days of confused quote. So we got. On the 62nd episode, we kind of just rambled. There yeah. was no... We, we were just talking about our 
our reactions to spring training and the game. And we had a very loose agenda. Yeah, loose agenda. It that, was, that completely got off track. Yeah, it started to see who you could beat in a race. That was, I think, about 20 minutes of the show. Um, <laughs> so we're going to try and stick to an agenda today, yeah, yeah. since this is our normal Tuesday show. Um, and I, get, again, apologize, don't get confu- confused if... 63 comes out before you've listened to 62. <laughs> so we're going to get the audio from that one way or the other, even if Scott has to pay $35 to, to download it from that shady website that you that you found. Um, so first on the agenda is the fact that Paul O'Neill and then Johnny Damon endorsed Donald Trump. This came out of no... Pu- Left right worst, came out of right field. Worst joke ever. This came out of right field, <laughs> but I think it was Wednesday, or Tuesday or Wednesday at the Trump rally. All of a sudden, he points and says, "Oh, Paul O'Neill of the Yankees, you endorsed me, right?" It's like we're watching an SNL skit. Well, this whole thing's been an SNL, an SNL skit, so I mean, it really doesn't. It's staying on course for for what it's been. It's just been a debacle, the whole thing, and. You know, I mean, it's impossible not to talk about politics right now as far as, I mean, we're not going to get into political situations, obviously, or political we're not gonna, opinions. We're not, yeah, exactly. We're but, not going to do political opinions. No, but when you have Donald Trump, who's just completely taken over mass media, and that's all you see, and then all of a sudden, Paul O'Neill gets gets called the, uh, as an endorsement, or, you know, gets put on the on the, um, on the on the blast as an, a Trump endorser. It was, with Johnny Damon. It was like, hilarious, though. Trump points over, the camera pans over to Paul O'Neill, he's sitting there with his wife, and you can kind of tell he's like, shit. <laughs> like, you had to call me out, Donald, like, damn you. Donald's like, you endorsed me, right? Right, Paul? And he's like, I'm here. <laughs> it was kind of like the least ringing endorsement possible, but it was an endorsement, and people went ape shit on Twitter. Speaking of the the whole, this is a little off topic, but whenever I see Chris Christie behind Trump, you know, I mean, there was a, the video of him the at that rally of of the Chris Christie face, yeah. All yeah, but all I can think of, and I don't know if you remember this, but the uh, the SNL skit where uh, they did a, a Rudy Giuliani, because I don't know if you remember Rudy Giuliani's kid behind some of the, his press conferences would be like jumping on his back. Like when when Giuliani was mayor of New I York, I don't remember that. But. So they did a skit of they did a skit of that making fun of that, and Chris Farley played the kid <laughs> and was like jumping on Rudy Giuliani's back, and that's all I could think of the entire time of Chris Christie jumping on Trump's back and like annoying him. And now Ben Carson's also an endorser of Trump. Oh, and he? if I were Trump, I would not make that known because Ben I, Carson is psychotic. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't been keeping up the past few days with this whole uh, this whole thing. So yeah. I, I really people were mad at at O'Neill, and I get that they don't like Trump, but this just goes to the fact that politics is such a sensitive issue with people. Right. Politics and it's, religion, man. Don't talk yeah, about it. Yeah, politics and religion. I don't care what your religious beliefs are or what your political affiliations are. I just would really prefer you to keep it to yourself. Because it's easier for everybody. But that's just not your decision. That's the thing. Like, if somebody has something to say and they want to say it, then they have the right to say it. And people should just get not get bent out of shape, I think, with right. the way that they say it. And it's, it's their opinion. Why? Who, give, who cares? If you're a public figure, It doesn't change though, how he does what he, what he did for the Yankees and no. the way he talks about baseball. If you're a public figure like O'Neill, though, you kind of have to understand there's going to be criticism. No doubt. It might be better off just keeping it to yourself. Unless he's super, super passionate about Donald Trump being president. Which, I don't know if he is. Well, he, I mean, he put his suit and tie on and he walked out the door with his wife knowing he was going to a Trump rally. Knowing that there was a possibility that something could happen. You never know. And he put himself in that situation. So he obviously doesn't care if he knows. Everybody there saw that he was a Trump person. Everybody has a cell phone. Um, do you think this is going to affect him anyway on the Yes broadcast? No. I think people are going to forget about it. I think it's news right now. Unless it's not he be news actually next week. does start like doing more for Trump, then people won't forget about it. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a big thing. I mean, I, th- I think if Trump fades, which I don't know if he will. He's going to get the endorsement probably. I, I don't know what that... So he... Uh, I just... I, I don't think it's... I think it's news right now, and I think people are going to forget about it. Nobody's going to care when the baseball season comes and all that, so... Yeah, and someone on Twitter tweeted me saying, oh, this is, does this mean O'Neill is out of the Yes broadcast? No. And I'm like, come on. This it's is ridiculous. 
Yes, can't fire somebody. You can't fire somebody over their political affiliations. I don't know what you can and can't do, but it's not going to happen. O'Neill's fine. O'Neill's always said things. So I did enjoy the uh, New York Post cover, though. The Boys of Dumber with Damon and O'Neill. I saw that. I mean, Johnny Damon was never known as the sharpest tool in the shed. No. He's always had, I mean, just the way he talks is, is, he's got a, a very interesting way of talking. I'll never forget his, the, the comments when somebody interviewed him about A-Rod and the whole steroid thing. And he, he made just like the price, the, the most priceless quote. And, you know, it's not, it's not like murder. I'm like, <laughs> what, Johnny? What are you talking about? It's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not murder. Like murder. I'm like, okay, John. Way to, way, to take it, way to take that completely off topic. I like what he did there. He, he went the complete end of the spectrum saying, hey, look, he could have murdered somebody. So chill out. It right. was only steroids. The funny thing is that video is nowhere to be found on, online. I searched high and low for it and I cannot find it <laughs> That'd anymore. That'd be a nice soundbite, nice clip. Yeah. It's not so if, if anybody's listening and can find that Johnny Damon soundbite, <clears throat> please send it to me. I've been looking for it everywhere. Yeah, we can use it, it anytime somebody grounds into a double play or strikes yeah, oh, it would be a Hey, it's not murder. <laughs> it would be a great soundbite. I just, I just grounded into a double play with the bases loaded, uh, no runs. Hey, it's not at least murder. I didn't kill somebody. <laughs> so yeah, send that over if you find it, please. It seems like Yankees are just making headlines because also in the news is Goose Gossage, who's always been a loud-spoken guy. He does not hide his opinions. I like that. I mean, I, people are so sensitive these days about the way people feel. And a guy like Goose Gossage, who's, who's definitely from a different generation, and he just doesn't care what people think after what he says. Um, but he believes his generation was the best generation. And that's fine. no question about that well, he just doesn't like young people like you told me before he's like get off my lawn yeah it's a get it's a total get off my lawn. i mean i understand it as i get older i literally want people to get off my lawn too yeah but you want them to to physically get off your lawn physically get the hell off my lawn right yeah but i i Gossage just wants everyone to get off of his hypothetical lawn right but if kids are actually on his physical lawn he will yell at them to get off his <laughs> lawn the point being as you get older your tolerance starts getting a lot yes. smaller and you, you just don't want to tolerate the things that are out there that, that annoy you. And when there's a microphone in your face and you're being asked questions about certain things, you know, he just kind of, he just kind of spilled the beans and then just kept going. His rant consisted of three main parts. The first being that he was complaining about nerds running baseball. and he, Talking about sabermetrics. Yeah, types. sabermetrics, which right. if you agree or disagree with sabermetrics, there is a place for them in the game to to building a team. I'm not saying the game needs could be all sabermetrics. You still need to understand other aspects of baseball and that you can only tell by watching players play. But sabermetrics has revolutionized the way you build a team. So I don't think there's any denying the fact that it is beneficial to building a baseball team. And the, you know the biggest thing I think with a lot of the old school guys or the old school baseball mentality and the baseball purists, if you will, a lot of these guys go off of the eyeball test. I mean, you, you either know how to play baseball or you don't know how to play baseball. And Goose Gossage was the type of guy where, look, I'm going to close the game. I don't care if it's three outs, if it's six outs. If, I, if you need me to get nine outs, I'll go and do it. These, these guys are just cut from a different cloth. You know, they, they go out and, and they just play the game because it's, it's a game to be played and it's not a game to be overanalyzed. Do you, do you, you've seen Moneyball, right? Yes. Do you remember the scene when they're sitting at the table and they're preparing for the season. And it's the first time the Jonah Hill character is, is sitting at the table with all of the scouts on Oakland. And, and I understand this was a complete dramatization and, and an exaggeration of the situation. But uh, Billy Bean, Brad Pitt's character, was pointing to different people saying, what do you got on these guys? And everybody's comments were, oh, he's got a real nice swing. He, he, you know, he's got an eye for the game. He, he's got a lot of hustle out there. And it, it's all... It, there's nothing like on paper. There's no numbers that they were analyzing. It was just all eyeball test. And Billy Bean's sitting there rolling his eyes, and he points to Jonah Hill, and he's like, well, he's got a 327 on-base percentage. He's got this, blah, blah, blah. He walked, he, or it was like his pitch selection is XYZ, and the complete contrast between the two was really, I love that scene because it really portrayed it well. Well, scouts aren't looking at numbers like that. They're looking at mechanics. 
they're looking at the way he acts on the field, like mannerisms, right. the the certain things that he does defensively. Like there's there's certain things you can see. Like if you they're looking for a certain hitch in a swing, yep. that would maybe. So the thing is, is like all of these things can be can coexist, and they should coexist. And that's that's the that's like would be the best scenario because you could a, a scout could see a hitch in some guy's swing, and then you look at the a- analytics, and you're saying, well. Because of this hitch in the swing, he's having a hard time hitting the outside curve. Right. And, you know, these can live together. So that's that's the thing. Uh, you know, I think there's a place for both. But this, I think some people take the Sabre stuff too far. I agree. I agree. The second part of Gossage's rant was the fact that you can no longer slide into second base hard with the Utley rule, which we just mentioned on the last podcast. And also, you can't take out the catcher. So it's sort of like the pussification of the game is what he's talking about here. And, and I totally we, we agree with. This. I'm with him on yes. this 100%. I can't stand these rules. And he talks about Buster Posey being in the wrong position and gets look. But if Buster Posey was uh, a backup catcher, if he was somebody John that Ryan nobody, Murphy. if he was John Ryan Murphy, it, it never would have happened. But because he was Buster Posey, because the I'm sure the Players Association started pressing down on the commissioner's office, and they were getting pressure from the owners and things like this to protect their assets. That's when rules start getting into place. Because there's so much money involved now, they're putting rules in to protect the players because of that. And I agree with Goose Gossage. It takes a lot out of the game. The whole second base thing is ridiculous to me. I mean, and I said this on the last show or the last week's show, saying that I think the umpires are not going to really call this as, as strict as the rule is saying. I still think that if you go back to that Chase Utley slide... During the game and that moment, if the umpire had said, "Hey, that was a slide that that was uh, not in, it was not intentional to go at the base pet at the base, and he could have made a better attempt at the base, he could have called him out right then and there, and the game would have been controlled. The situation would have been controlled, but he didn't do it. So what does that go back down to? Human error. Yeah. And when you start taking human error out of sports and baseball in particular, you're changing the game, in my opinion. Gossage also talks about policing the game. And that's what was happening in his era. Like, when Pete Rose took ended Ray Fossey's career, Pete Rose knew he had to answer for that next time he, he stood up to the plate. Right. And Gossage says, I'd like to knock some of these fuckers on their ass and see how they would do against pitchers in the old days. And that's exactly right. If someone took out Buster Posey, that guy, the next time he goes up, is going to get chin music. That's just something he has to understand. And now, where sometimes you do see it, um, I'm trying to think of pitchers in today's game that... But the problem with that even, the problem with even the, the throwing inside and throwing at people is the umpires are so fast to warn the dugouts. Yeah. Like even if there's an inside pitch that they think was, yeah. that was possibly uh, supposed to be in that guy's back, or they'll, if, and they'll warn everybody so the next time something happens, right. there's an ejection. Or if, even if there's history with these teams, there might be a pre-warning to the game. Yeah. So you can't do anything. If the last time these two teams played a month earlier at the coaches meeting at the manager's meeting on the dugout yeah. or something like that, there'll be a warning in the next game. And this is all coming from up, up top, I guarantee it. I mean, the umpires are getting they're getting more pressure probably from the commissioner's office and other places to control the game better. They don't want to see that type of thing. So they're warning guys earlier. And I know Girardi can't stand it. I totally agree with him. When people when they get warned for nothing. Like it's it's because then you can't retaliate. Because then if you retaliate in the third inning, your pitcher's going to get ejected, and you're, you're affecting the game at that point. Right. The third part of his rant was about Latin players, specifically Jose Bautista and Ioannis Cespedes, bat-flipping and pimping home runs, and David Ortiz does it all the time too. But this is where I feel like he kind of contradicted himself, where he was talking about nerds running baseball and sort of like a, a pussification of baseball, and then he says, oh, but I hate these guys who, who are... Who are stylists who style their their game and and sort of bring flair to the game? I know it's a little different. It's not hustling and taking guys out, but it's still an exciting part of the game, and it actually creates villains in a way to make the game more exciting. But you're thinking about this. You think about that era. You think about the Goose Gossage era, and there's there's two elements of the game to me that they are very important to them: hard work, hustle, the grit of the game, and then the respect of the I game. Know. When you start talking about the respect of the game. Baseball purists, guys who are old school baseball guys, start getting very particular about the way you do things, the way you walk around the mound, the way you, I mean, remember when, who was that? 
Oakland. I know exactly. Dallas Braden. Dallas Braden. It was yeah. Dallas Braden when A Rod cool. ran across. Uh, he ran across the mound from first to third. I think yeah. on an out. He got out or something. Yeah. And Braden went apeshit and started going off on him. And, and A Rod had no idea. Get all, that was a get off my mound. Get off my lawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, like things like that in baseball. There's unwritten rules and the bat flip, the staring down guys, the the you know slowly jogging like Ortiz does every single time he hits a home run. Or even if he. One thing, the thing I hate most about Ortiz is he'll ground out to second base, jog down to first base, and then literally walk like he's crawling back across the diamond. It takes forever. Yeah. I understand why people get annoyed by that, but at the same time, it does bring extra drama to the game, a game that I think needs it. I think it does need it a little bit at this point, just because of the, the younger generation watching baseball. One, I mean, this is a, this is a I, need, I need instant satisfaction era, right? Like everything's at their fingertips. So a three-hour baseball game is, is something that, you know, while you have maybe six to seven, like, really dynamic plays in a game, if you do a highlight reel, yeah. it's, 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 you, you need the patience. You need to have, like, a respect and love of the game to watch a full baseball game and actually like baseball. So I think those type of things get new fans involved. But I think the policing I don't know if it's for game, the right reasons, though. Policing of the game should come in with, like, a Batista bat flip, where if he bat flips the hell out of that... right. He's got to answer to that the next time no he doubt. comes up, and I'm fine with that. I'm but that's the the problem with that. with that is that he knows that that's not going to happen. Well, then it is pussification of the game, though, because that's I think such a cool aspect. It's almost like fighting in hockey, where the players police the game. Right. You can't. I'm not. I don't want players to actually literally fight in baseball, but the but the possibility of getting knocked down at the plate or a hard takeout slide. To answer for a time you pimp a home run, I think, is fantastic. It's a fantastic aspect of the game, an added element of the game, when you now strategically should be pimping things. Because it's like, well, it, it's it's July 20th. My team is up by nine runs. I just hit a 480-foot home run. Maybe I don't need to pimp the shit out of this home run. Because what's the point? And you just, I think you made a very important point here. I think that... What baseball is doing is taking the players out of the policing of their own game. And I think that's important because for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, that's exactly what happened. The players policed the game and it worked fine. And it worked well for them. It worked well for us as spectators because we know now that we, you know, if this was 15 years ago, that if he does that, Everybody's watching the next at bat to see what happens. Yeah. Or, you know, again, if he's playing a position, what happens with the runner if, if he's going to go in hard? There's certain things that now, because of warnings and just people looking for these types of things, it's, you're right, it's taken away from the game itself, in my opinion. So I, I, I agree with Goose. I agree with a lot of things he I said. I agree with a lot of things he said, too. I just think he was a little bit. I think he, he kind of had, it's like he was all fired up and had to get his comments out, where yeah. if he just took, took a step back and thought about it for 10 minutes. I think he could have gotten it out in a better, more uh, productive made a way. better point. Because I think his his point, his underlying points here are pretty good. Yeah, I agree. Um, very kind of related is this ESPN the magazine article on Bryce Harper, who Bryce Harper is probably the most uh, one of the most. Um, what's the word? Marketable players, he, mar- but not marketable. But he he has the, some of the most flair in his game. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, he, he, we apologize for that. <laughs> that the, the dryer's going in the background, but I think it's done now. Um, Harper is not a Latin player, but he kind of has the like a Latin player flair. And he talks about in this magazine where he wants to bring that aspect back to baseball. He wants baseball players to have the name recognition of a LeBron or a Cam Newton or somebody like that. He said he wants his name, Bryce, to be a household name. Call it cocky, call it whatever you want. I mean, he's arrogant as hell, but... You can't blame him no, for that. The, these, the guys at this level are arrogant. They have to be. I mean, they don't get to that level unless you are. But, you know, there's something, like, talking about the, the, the Latin flair to the game. I mean, if you, if you watch the games, like, if you watch, like, the Caribbean World Series, or if you watch these guys down in, in, in spring training, the Latin players have so much fun playing baseball. The spectators have so much fun watching. I mean, just from... I used to play in a summer league ball, and there were a couple uh, teams that were mostly like Puerto Rican guys. And like they would bring like 20 to 30 fans out every game, and these guys would just have so much fun. And it, when you're on the other side and you're seeing it, sometimes you can take it the wrong way. But honestly, like these guys just have so much fun doing it. 
and they do have a certain flair to it. And I mean, the games, it's like the, the walk-up music for Castro in Chicago, which I really do hope he brings to the Bronx. Yep. I mean, it's like a party in the stands every time because he gets things going. And that's, I like that aspect of the game. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There was no walk-up music at Steinbrenner Field. They Not on Friday. On, on Thursday, I heard some, though. I, I didn't hear anything for Castro, but I did hear some. I don't know if it was chosen by the player or it was just regular. Yeah, or just random music, yeah. background music. Yeah, I really does hope he brings... Maybe it doesn't need to necessarily be the same song, but... Something high energy. Something high energy, add some personality to it. I know a lot of guys pick their songs, but I can't name one song on the Yankees. Like Jeter would walk up to that to that song that uh, the Jay Z song, the New York, the song. New York yeah. song, yeah, yeah, that was the only one I can remember. And I know someone does country, McCann or Headley. O'Neill had the Who when he was. That was like a very popular one. That was like the only one from the '90s Yankees that sticks out in my mind. Yeah, yeah. So I hope they do that. I mean, that'd be that'd be cool. And you you know that Castro is slowly becoming one of my favorite players. Yeah, yeah. You you loved him. You, we were right there. He turned a nice double play. One thing I noticed seeing him up close in person was his size. Yeah. He's a big dude, not not Aaron Judge big. No right. one's Aaron Judge big, but he was running off the field next to Didi, and he he's not only taller but a lot stockier than yeah. Didi, not in a fat way. No, he's just, just a, he's just a bigger way. guy. Yeah, he looks like a third baseman. That yeah. was what was my. He looks. He's got like the body type of like an Adrian Beltre. Yeah, I was just say you met you compared him to a body. A, Adrian yeah, Beltre. and that's why I think that's you know. A little off, but this is why I could see Castro at some point in, in his Yankees career slotting over to third base at some point, maybe when that Headley's contract is up. Oh, this is a great transition, though. He's They just announced he's not going to be backing up third base anymore. Right, and that's good for this year for one Rob Refsnyder because maybe, just maybe, these guys are turning a corner on what they think of Refsnyder defensively and that they, he can actually handle third base, second base, some outfield. I mean, it's a guy that is, is is showing some flexibility, and I think they're seeing that. I really agree with the move for a couple reasons. One, let him concentrate on second base. Right. He's in a new team coming over to the American League. He's got enough stuff to worry about right now. Let him play. Let him just concentrate on playing one position. Also, the fact that I think they realize they don't really have a backup shortstop on the team. Right. Castro can go over to shortstop. That's not a problem. Not a problem. He's done that his whole career. If Didi needs a day off, or if if you know Didi has to get pinch hit for something, and they need a ninth inning shortstop, Castro can do that job fine. Let's not screw around and have him trying to learn third base as well. It's just too much going on all at once. Right. And the other reason I love it because, like you said, Ref Snyder. Yeah, and I, we didn't realize this. I, I got a uh, a DM on Twitter from uh, from one of our guys who follow the show, and I appreciate you sending this, but. Ref Center actually did play some third base in college, which I didn't realize. So it's not a completely Dude new play position. play all over the place. That's what I'm saying. Like he's he's really proving to be a utility guy type guy. He could be our our very own Ben Zobris type. You know what I mean? And I think also that the Yankees are realizing that they can't keep that bat in the minor leagues. Yep, it's too good. It'd be ridiculous. He's also tw- going to be 25 this season. Yep. it's it's in a way cruel to be keeping a guy who can hit at the major league level. Right. It's like, yeah, he's trying to he's trying to get better defensively, but there's plenty of guys in the league who are so terribly defensively, but they can hit and they and they make their way up to the up to the show. So yeah, and Castro made a play. The other the other Castro play that that just got me excited was there was a ground ball in the hole between second base and first base. He ran over, fielded it beautifully, and there was a runner on first. And rather than taking the out at first base, he went across his body and just threw a dart to Didi at, at, at uh, second base for the out. And it was a tough play. Just one of those little things that, that doesn't hit the score, the, the box score, but you're seeing with your eyeballs. <laughs> this is going back to the scouts. Yeah. And how he could just turn that. I mean, yep. that, that was a shortstop play in second base. Yeah. It was Athleticism. It was awesome. They have athletic guys yeah. in the infield. It's, it, I'm really excited. It's going to yeah. be awesome. <clears throat> okay, so let's get into some mailbags. We got three mailbags today. The first one is from Tom Turchich. He says, it appears the Yankees have not ventured into the market for Cuban expatriates. The Cubs, Dodgers, Padres, etc. seem to have led the way. This is one reason the Dodgers may have the best farm system in Major League Baseball. Why haven't the Steinbrenners ventured more aggressively into the Cuban market? So thank you, Tom, for the question. It's a good question. The Yankees historically have been very active on the international market, not only Cuba, but also Japan. I mean, and the Dominican and Venezuela yeah. and Panama. I mean, they spent a lot of money over the past, you know, four years before that cap came in. Yeah, uh, and they've they. I just don't think we know a lot of the guys yet. 
I think the prices for these Cuban guys are so astronomical when you don't know anything about them. But what the Yankees have done also is they have done a very good job of getting guys early before the yep. names are there, before this Mancada, before before a lot of these guys that Jorge are coming Mateo out with Mateo is an example. Mateo is a guy. Gary Sanchez was has been in the organization Since forever. 16, 16 yeah. years old. I mean, uh, Montero was a 16-year-old yep. prospect at some point as well. Like these guys are they're getting them extremely young. When you have to pay pay guys like uh, for instance Abreu of the White Sox or Cespedes when he got that big contract. Puig. Or Puig or Mancata, who cost the Red Sox like $50 million for yep. a 19-year-old kid who everyone says is going to be awesome. But and he's in single A. That's so much money to spend on a guy that you just don't know anything about. And I think Cashman has really made it a point to get better in the draft and, and get players that way. And we're finally starting to see the fruits of that labor with all of the prospects that are starting to come up. Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez... Jorge Mateo, um, Bird, Ref Bird, Snyder, Ref Snyder yeah. Lindgren, Severino. Like he's concentrated more on that aspect. And I know some of those guys didn't weren't drafted; they were signed internationally. But like you said, they were signed at a younger age, where it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. Right, and and I think we're seeing the fruits of that come up because they did spend a lot of money. I just don't think you know about these names, and they went out and got a lot of guys. And they're in the minor leagues right now. There's, there are guys that are going to start surfacing more. I mean, these prospect, this prospect list is pretty deep. You mentioned having, you know, the, 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 uh, Tom mentioned that the Dodgers have the best farm system in Major League Baseball because they spent a lot of money. Well, the Yankees or, organization has a pretty good depth right now. I mean, honestly, it's probably one of the more up-and-coming farm systems <clears throat> because look what it was three years ago. We didn't know half of these guys' names. And now, all of a sudden, these guys are extremely exciting Mateo's just opening eyes everywhere with the all Dodgers fans. The Dodgers have a great farm system, but is that because they... They spent money on the, on the international. You see other guys with other teams with good farm systems over the past five years, but they, they were the Royals, the, you know, the, um, the, the teams that were struggling for years and years and years and just stock pick, draft picks. Uh, the Royals that were... Tampa Bay did that for a while. Um, the Nationals did it. Like, these are teams that were the Mets. I mean, look what the Mets did with their pitching staff. All these guys were drafted. And that's because they were so terrible for, for so long that they had high draft picks for a long time. And, you know, once that, once, once those guys start getting up, you know, towards the higher ranks in the minor leagues, you start seeing it. But uh, also, the Dodgers have had guys who are American-born and come up through the draft, like Corey Seager yep. and Patterson. Yeah. I mean, or they, Jock Peterson, not Patterson. Jock, Peterson. Yeah. They just, I mean, their scouting department's done a good job. Yeah. And I know the Yankees' scouting department was completely overhauled. And they've just they've done a terrific job. I mean, I think we're, we're seeing a very different type of, uh, you know, type of player in the, in the Yankees' minor league system. And there's now, a, there's now a strategy to cultivate these players. We, before, one of the big reasons we didn't have a minor league system that was anything to write home about was because we were trading them away. We didn't. These these guys were not staying in our organization. They were getting traded, and we were bringing over high priced guys that were were flare and flash, and just didn't pan out. So yeah. there's more commitment Look to at develop. The disaster that Jose Contreras was. Right. There's a, there's a there's a, a commitment to develop the players, and we're seeing this because the game is getting younger. The game is getting more athletic, and you need to have depth. And and that's what they're doing. And I think they're doing a, a very good job. So Tom, thank you for the question. Um, it's a, it's a good, it's an interesting topic. I love the, the fact, you know, I'm very interested to see where the Cuban market and the relationship with baseball goes. Derek Jeter is going down to be an ambassador because the Tampa Rays are playing an exhibition game down there, uh, in a couple weeks. Derek Jeter is going to be one of the members who is an ambassador of the game down there. I, I don't know who else is going, but it, it's just awesome to see that finally, because it's such a great baseball market. That yeah. And that's a big deal. I mean, Derek Jeter, everybody in the world knows who Derek Jeter is. And I got to believe that Joe Torre, Derek Jeter relationship had a lot to do with him going down there yeah. because Torre is very much involved with, yeah. uh, you know, the brass of Major League Baseball. So, you know, this is this is a good time for us, too, with Derek Jeter because he <clears throat> seems to be over the past year, you know, eight to, ten, eight to 12 months, he's becoming more involved with, with the baseball aspects. Yep. Um, a little bit more Yankee stuff. 
And uh, we didn't really, he wasn't at spring training, nope. but he is I starting to come I think he'll start to come around to more of the Yankee spring training when he gets a little bit older. I agree. And probably starts to miss it a little bit more. Right. I think he's more concentrated on building his brand nationally. I think so too. As a, a businessman, media media company, yeah. all that all the, he's so weird got to that say. children's book or whatever. He's right? been writing children's books for a while. Yeah. So, but he's got a publishing company. Publishing company. Yeah, a children's publishing company. I think he's company. concentrating more on that. And, then, that, and the Players' know, Tribune, obviously, is doing player, very yeah, well. It is doing well. And people make fun of it, but I actually... I mean, the CC article was amazing. Well, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff on there. Um, okay, so what do we got from Sebastian? Sebastian says, Hey guys, regards from Guatemala. I just read Managers, Should They Stay or Should They Go? Uh, the first edition of it, and wanted to suggest a discussion. I have never liked Girardi. Never. Since he started managing the Yankees, I have questioned him a lot. However, in recent years, I've noticed he has done an acceptable job. I'd like to hear your thoughts on him and who you would like to have as a Yankee manager. So thanks, Sebastian. Appreciate it. From Guatemala, that's awesome. Love, <clears throat> love hearing uh, you know, listeners and, and readers from all over the world. It's really cool. So it's interesting what he says here, how he's never liked Girardi, but right now he's actually think he's doing an acceptable job. I feel like people, Yankee fans with Girardi, either hate him or love him. There's not really much in between. Well, I'm in between. You are. Well, he frustrates me at times. He, I think he he get he. I mean, we've talked about this a hundred times with his bullpen. The way he manages that bullpen kind of frustrated me last year, and the the fact that he brings in no name guys who have zero experience in very large situations that were in the middle of a pennant race. I mean, like things like that are to me are inexcusable. Yep. The fact that you throw. Batances and Miller in a six-run game, or not even throw them, but get them warming up in a six-run game. Well, they so, need work. They haven't thrown in three days. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> and then they're not available the next day or whatever. It's yeah. like things like that, that that bother me. But all in all, I think Girardi is a good baseball manager. You know, we've we've criticized him for having sometimes too much, uh, too much backing, or you know, he's he he's uh, I'm 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 a loss for words right now, but he's a uh, he defends his guys too much. He's always with the veteran guys a little too much. Like we saw that with Stephen Drew last year, how he kept running Stephen Drew out every single time. And if I hear Girardi talk about how Stephen Drew went 0 for 4, but hit three balls on the nose and they just didn't fall. Ex- exit velocity. You know, so that that type of thing would bother me when you have a, a kid who's just raking and, and can play the position just fine and they don't play him. But do you realize this is going to be his ninth season? As but this manager? is but this is something that I talked about I think a couple of weeks ago. With the way that the team is kind of transitioning right now, I think this is a big season for Girardi because next year we're going to see guys like Judge, Sanchez, Bird. We're seeing a new phase of the younger guys coming into this roster, and it's almost turning over. And I think that is actually where he'll excel. Do you remember what a or or they're going to make a transition to somebody who's going to take these guys under their wing and move forward with them. Well, but now would be the time if they were to do though. a move. He just signed an extension. I'm just saying that doesn't. I'm, I'm saying this year is a big year do for you him to show. He did, a, he did a great job. He won Manager of the Year with the Marlins, and that was a yes. team of 20 year olds. Right. I think he would do very I well think with young he's guys. Better with young guys because with old guys he gets very weird with veterans, and he 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 gets crazy with their playing time and the bullpen work and all that stuff. I think drives people crazy. Right. So, but I think it's it's because those are the veteran guys, and he has more of a respect for what they do and who they are. Whereas the younger guys, and he's he's managing them, he's managing them on their baseball abilities, and he's just going off. This is a player; it, they don't have uh, you know a brand or a, a giant contract attached to him, so he can do whatever he feels is right with that player. So Sebastian asks, "Who would you like to have as a Yankees manager?" Let's do two things. Let's do you think that the next manager is going to be maybe somebody in house? Where like a Tony Pena or something like that who transitions over, or do you think it's going to be totally outside the organization, uh, a, a name? I don't think a name is as important unless it's a name that were that was associated with the Yankees, like a Don Mattingly type guy. I think Don Mattingly is going to have some show me years in in the Marlins organization. I don't think he's going to have a huge leash, but he's going to we're going to I think that people are going to see a lot more of his managing style just because he was. Really putting up with a lot of names in in the Dodgers organization. He was in also a no win situation, not a no win situation with the Dodgers, but it was World Series or bust. Yeah, so I think we're going to see a lot more as a manager of what Mattingly is this year with the Marlins, just because he has a completely different roster and a lot of young guys. Um, but I, I don't think Girardi's going anywhere, and honestly, I don't, either. I don't want him to go anywhere because there's 
to me, there's we, we, when we did our managers discussion about guys that we would, we, I think we did a ranking too. Um, you know, outside what Drew did, and if you haven't checked that article out, by def, definitely check it out. He did a two part, uh, two part series of the of the managers article, and it was really good. Um, but we had like our our rankings, and we had Joe Madden at the top, and just because yeah. I think one of the things we like about him is. He the way that he wor- and he works with young guys really well. He yeah. gets their attention. He he speaks to them. He gets the most out of teams. And I think Girardi is very similar in the regards with young guys. I think he does get a lot out of that. And I, I think he's he knows the game very well. But no one's disputing that Joe Girardi doesn't know what he's doing. I he I think any manager would frustrate me just because we yeah, watch the games. Exactly. So that's the thing. You're never gonna be. I'm never gonna find one hundred percent happy. I was mad at Joe Torre all the oh, time yeah, for no the doubt. way he would use his bullpen. Right. Girardi gets a lot. Out. He's the last two seasons. The Yankees have competed for playoff spots. Yes, fourteen they didn't make the playoffs, but but fifteen obviously they made the playoff game. Most managers would have had that team win eighty-two games, and Girardi got them to the to mid to high eighties and competing for a playoff spot. And I think you got to give him credit for that. If you look at what happened at the end of last year, and the and the team totally broke. The, down. the, the team stopped hitting the ball. We couldn't score runs at all, and the fact that he. Kept in the playoff hunt, was in the AL East hunt for majority of the season. Uh, it, it, he did a, he did a very good job managing the team last year. While we criticize his bullpen management and his frustration of that, honestly, he when you take a step back and look at the guys that he had available to him and the the guys that he trusted, he had two guys that he trusted. That was right. it. Yeah. Jason Shreve dropped off the face of the earth at the end of last Wilson, year. Wilson, he trusted Wilson. He trusted Wilson. Wilson was was solid, um, but. The rest of the guys were, you know, it was a Scranton Express. I mean, he was literally managing a triple-A bullpen at the end of the year. Maybe the Yankees would bring up a guy like Luis Soho, who I know is managing and coaching in their minor league system, once he gets a little bit more experience. I could see that, too. He's like a beloved sort of Yankee Yankee family guy. So I think that something like that could be interesting. I don't think that the Yankees would go out and get just a name. I don't... Especially I don't a, a, a retread. I mean, just yeah. uh, like a, a, a retread, like a Dusty Baker type thing, or yeah. you know, like one of those guys. Well, you know the name. I, but yeah, I don't know why the Nationals signed Dusty Baker. I think that's going to be a disaster. I don't know. I actually think that's not a bad thing for what they have over there because they have a lot of big guys, and I feel like he's a player's manager. Kind of going to say it's going to be as bad as Bobby Valentine in Boston, but it, it's not going to be good. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think that one actually wasn't the worst. I don't think Matt Williams. Was, but I think you obviously and I not ready for the job last both year. agree we love Joe Madden. Yes. All right. So the last mailbag is from Nick. And Nick says, the back three of our bullpen is obviously dominant with Chapman, Miller, and Batances. With that being said, losing Wilson and Warren is a big loss. Who in spring training impressed you so far to fill in the middle relief roles? You got to figure Nova and Shreve are going to make it to the pen. So who would you pick for the two open spots? And there actually might be more than two open spots, but let's talk about some of the guys who aren't the big names in the bullpen. Nick is absolutely right. As much as I'm still in favor of the Adam Warren trade, I'd rather have Castro than Warren. Warren is a huge loss for this team. He was such a valuable arm. And I think Wilson is going to be a loss as well. I still don't fully understand that trade, but... Um, Again, it was a depth move. It was they, yeah. had, they have guys they think they can plug in there. I think... So you're, you mentioned Nova, and Nick mentioned Nova and Shreve. I think Shreve absolutely is going to be, I think, at the beginning of the season, especially with the 30-game the thirty game suspension for Chapman, he's going to slot in as that seventh-inning guy. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what his role was in the first half of last year, and he did a really good job. People, I think people forget how good he was. He was phenomenal. Half. And that actually saved that trade, uh, the trade uh, for... Uh, Banuelos. Yeah, for Banuelos, but it was uh, the the right-hander Carpenter. Yes, David Carpenter, who who, who was actually the guy that everybody was I don't excited think I've about. I've ever hated somebody more than I hated David Carpenter. There, but he was the guy that, that oh, he throws so hard. He reached ninety-eight on the gun. It could not have been more down the middle. But Shreve definitely saved that trade, and I think we're going to see him slide in the beginning of the season into that same spot. And then Joe is definitely going to have to to manage him a little bit better just so that he can uh, stay healthy throughout the entire season. But Shreve does ha- has to do the same thing. I mean, he's got – he had a, a big learning experience last year, I think, with the way he finished the season. And yeah. I think he's from, – from the interviews I'm hearing about him, yeah. uh, him talk, he's definitely taken a lot from that, and he's grown as a professional, I think, from last season. So I'm looking for really good things from him. So he's going to absolutely be a staple in that bullpen. But some of the other guys that were on the Scranton Express – 
like a but even before we get to that, he okay. mentioned Nova. I don't think um, Nova's a lock right now to be in the bullpen. I, I honestly could see Joe Girardi coming out of spring with a quasi six-man rotation to limit Tanaka's innings early, to limit CeCe's innings early, to limit Evaldi's innings early, and, and get these guys into some kind of a groove. Where... Well, but we know Tanaka, Pineda, Evaldi, and Severino have no shot at pitching out of the pen. Right. CeCe and Nova are the two that... CeCe's not going to pitch out of the pen either. I don't see that happening. I don't see it happening either, but his performance could warrant the fact that he does With the amount of lefties that we have in the bullpen already existing, I don't see it happening. It might just be a fact where they just can't run him out there every day, every fifth day as a starter. I think that that's why we're going to see some kind of a, and I say a quasi six-man because it's not going to be a a true six-man. It's going to be guys getting extra rest and plugged into their spots. We also know nothing ever goes to plan, and somebody will most likely get injured. Right. So That's just what happens. Nova will get plenty of starts. No doubt. He could also be the long man. I don't see them using him in a short role, though, because they want to have the option, if someone goes downward, for he him can to be jump stretched. in. He can jump in right to be a starter. So that's that's he's an interesting spot. That's why I think he is going to be in that rotation. Kind of that weird Adam Warren spot. Yeah. So, But I don't know if he'll be as good out of the pen as Adam Warren was. So we'll see Nova in, in I definitely think, in, in a lot of starts. And so that, that leads us to, to start talking about some of the guys that we saw last year. And then, you know, I think, to me, one of the forgotten guys that nobody's really talked about as much mainstream, and, you know, he was a huge prospect and fits into that Justin Wilson lefty role is Jacob Lindgren. I think Lindgren is going to be a big part of this bullpen, especially if he's come if he comes back and he's healthy because he went under the knife last year and it was kind of unexpected. We really didn't see he, it coming. He had two weeks with the team in May. And then all of a sudden, boom. He but he struggled in those two weeks as well. He was not effective. He didn't look good. And I think a lot of he that... Looked, you know what he did? He looked overmatched. He looked like he wasn't ready for the major leagues. Or it could have been an injury. And I think he, I think something Possibly. was going on with him. Because, uh, I don't know, I just wasn't impressed with what I saw. I and I feel like he, he may have been an injured pitcher out there. And just trying to, you know, just trying to bust it because he had his opportunity. He didn't want to say, hey, I'm hurt. Um, but so yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking to see what Lindgren does this year. I think I think he has an opportunity to really step up, and if he does well, if he's a guy that's extremely effective out of there, you know, you're you're looking at then we need to fill some right-handed spots, because uh, then you have Shreve, Chasen, you have Chasen, Shreve, Lindgren as another two lefties to to go in with uh, Chapman and Miller. I mean, you got guys like uh, James uh, Pazos as well, who's a, a lot lefty. Of lefties. A lot of lefties. A lot of lefties. So there's going to be competition with that. Uh, but you're the guy I'm focused on. The, the probably the the two right-handed relievers that they're going to be adding to the bullpen are the guys that I'm looking at. Yeah, we'll see. It's going to be an open competition, and whoever pitches well gets the spot. So I wasn't impressed with any of them at the end of last year. They were all in over their heads in a playoff race, pitching in big moments. I mean, I think it was Nick Rumbelow who had to face the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays middle of the order, which is just a gauntlet of hell. I think the one guy that you have to really look at who I think Joe Girardi has confidence in right now and really showed well in the beginning of last season until that line drive came back up the middle, and I'm talking about Brian Mitchell. And while he doesn't say anything that that line drive affected him, I think the line drive clearly affected him in some way. Okay, and not. He was shaken. Uh, you know, I don't know if he was shaken or just hesitant or whatnot, but he was a different pitcher afterwards. He might be wearing the Spaceballs helmet this year. It's possible. But he's a guy I think is going to be Adam Warren. I think he's going to be that guy. I think he's going to be available in short situations, and then we'll see him um, kind of stretched out. But he's also a guy that they've had stretched out in the past that could be a starter as well. So that's why I think Brian Mitchell is one of the reasons why they were all right with saying we can we can you know continue on without Adam Warren. Definitely. All right, Nick. Thanks for the thanks for the mailbag question. Okay, so we're going to preview the Giants and the Padres, and then we're going to wrap this show up. So. The Giants and the Padres are both on the Yankees schedule this summer. And that's why we're talking about them. Yes. Because otherwise we would not be talking about these teams. Well, I think the Giants could be a legit team this year. Yeah. They're projected to finish second in the division, but Baseball Prospectus has the Dodgers seven games ahead of them. So while the Giants <clears throat> are going to be better than they were last year, I don't think that even qualifies them for the playoffs. Maybe a wild card spot. They made two big splashes, though. Samarja and Cueto. A lot of money on those guys. That actually forms a pretty legit rotation. If we're calling Samarja a legit pitcher, because that's not what we saw last year. He should be better in the National League. He should hopefully regain his form. He's no longer in a hitter's ballpark. Right. 
And I think that he, a lot of people said last year he was just pitching to not get injured because he knew he had a payday coming. That's ridiculous. He was throwing a lot of fastballs. That makes me, that makes me so hate many, him even. That, I agree. That makes me, that makes like me question his, his team. You know, I, that makes me question him as a pitcher. But it makes me question him as a lot of things. The rotation, Bumgardner, who I love. Matt Cain, who should be better. He had a down year, but he was hurt and mm-hmm. came back, so he's another year removed from injury, I Plus believe. Plus, Cueto and Samarja, that's if they all pitch to their potential legit for four Yeah, minutes. no doubt. And, and that, that's absolutely going to help them. Uh, if Samarja can regain what he was, um, you know, Bruce Bochy is a, is a hell of a manager. He, he definitely gets the most out of his guys as well. And Bumgardner is, you know, he's a stud. And he's a big game pitcher. He's a, he's a, he's a throwback. That's a guy who's a throwback who'll just say, get on, get on my back, let's go. He's kind of like an old CC, where CC would just, would just be a hoss and throw innings and innings and innings. But seven games back from the Dodgers, to me, is a lot of games. Uh, I think if they don't close that gap and, and you know, compete for that NL East or NL West title, they're going to have a hard time with the wild card because if you look at what happened in the NL Central last year, those teams all won 90 games. 97. Yeah. The Cubs won 97. Pirates, 98. That's insane. ridiculous. Insane. That's, that's your wild card right there. So whoever's yeah. going to get that wild card is, is going to... Low gonna, 90s. You better be a damn good team. Right. Yeah, and you better rack up wins. So that wild card's going to be tough to get. I do question Bruce Bochy a little bit, though, the fact that every, he's won the World Series three times, but then finished in far out of the playoffs the years after. you got to question, like, why can't he get a little bit more out of his team it kind of feels like they just totally mentally check out the, the following year. It's possible, but they also had a lot of injuries. A lot of injuries. They had, you know, their offense. Uh, they lost Sandoval. Well, they we lost... just mentioned with Girardi. Girardi wouldn't have let that happen. You're right. I think Girardi, Girardi... Maybe he wouldn't have won three World Series, but his team wouldn't have sucked the following year. If you listen to Bruce Bochy talk and you listen to Joe Girardi talk, they're two very different people. Girardi, Girardi to me, has like an insane, insanely high baseball IQ. Whereas Bochy, I think, does a lot of savant. he does a lot, a lot of uh, a feel. He's an old school guy. He's 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 cut from the goose gossage cloth where he's just you know trying to 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 see and 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 adjust on the fly with, because of his eyeballs. Unfortunately, the Giants are coming to Yankee Stadium. If the Yankees were going out to San Francisco, I definitely would have gone because I I love San Francisco. I was just out there, but I have seen one game at that ballpark. It's an amazing ballpark. It's right on the water. Great views. A lot of fun. It's kind of cool though, that the Giants are coming to New York as well. I think that's a that's that's a yeah. unique thing having coming. To I the went Bronx. to see a game at the old Yankee Stadium when Barry Bonds was on the Giants. I want to say this was two thousand six. Yeah. Or maybe two. Th- no, I'm sorry. This was Clemens. Clemens was on the team and hit Barry Bonds. So this had to have been two thousand three. Okay. Barry Bonds hit. The most mammoth home run I've ever seen. It went halfway in the upper deck. It was amazing. Yeah, so I think having them come in and just, you know, the the, the history, obviously, of the Giants. You're going to have some some <clears> older <throat> fans that, you know, maybe had parents or grandparents that were Giants fans. A lot Giants of still, fans. still in the New York area. Yeah, absolutely. So. so the Padres are going to suck. They're projected to finish <laughs> fourth in the division. The only reason they're not going to finish last in the division is because the Rockies suck extra. But they went for it last year with the Upton brothers and Kemp and uh, big game James, not so big game, kind of just mediocre game James Shield, and they didn't really didn't work out for them. Yeah, and they did a lot of dumping of salary this year, so they got guys that are are not as high priced. Um, they still have Matt. I'm surprised Matt Kemp's still on that team. Actually, no one's going to take him. No yeah. one's going to take that contract. I guess that's the reason. I, I was. They took su- the contract from the reason they got him from the the Dodgers in division. Was because they're like, yeah, we'll pay them. I was like, okay, gladly. I'm surprised there wasn't some kind of a workout where they pay some of it and they got rid of him for prospects or whatnot. But I mean, I know he's injury prone and he's really fallen off the map as that guy he was with the Rihanna Dodgers. Rihanna ruined him. <laughs> oh, were they? They were uh, uh, an item. Yeah, uh, I missed that one. But uh, you know, he's a he's a hell of a ball player when he's healthy. I just don't think he's going to ever be fully healthy again for the duration of a season. So we'll see. The Padres also have former Yankee greats, Jan Hervis, Solarte, and Jose Perella. We what a so Perella, much, what a good fella. We did so much podcasting on Jose Perella at the beginning of last year. Kind yeah. of feel stupid. Well, I mean, he's, he was that super utility guy that now Rob Ruffsteiner is going to be. That's actually, I didn't even think about that. He's now Jose Perella. Except better. Except better. And Solarte actually turned out to be a pretty good ball player. You know, un- unbeknownst to us that... 
that that end of the year drought or fall off the map for Solarte was just actually a, just a, a, a bad slump. I give him credit. He's yeah. Just, yeah. Because we never expe- we expected him to be that guy. He's put up pretty much the same numbers as Chase Headley over They're the last year and a half. They're very They're extremely comparable. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. Solarte's probably like, when am I getting my $10 million a year? All right, so that's going to do it for this episode. Um, again, check out the 60-second episode. Hopefully the audio is working. We'll talk to you next Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.